The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. In the history of Story City Burbank, we have our building that we can do what we want to to worship in. Absolutely, absolutely. Miguel, I'm going to apologize in advance. I move a lot when I talk. Um, But today's even more special for me. You see, on January 28, 2011, Lisa and I loaded up the truck and moved to Beverly. We arrived here on January 28. On April, or on March 27th of 2011, we sat right about in front of that piano. The pulpit was up here for our first service And that day, we knew within a matter of minutes, this was home. So today's homecoming for me. Today is cool for me to be back here and celebrating here. And I'm so thankful for that. And I'm thankful, I'm not even going to try and name names because I know I'm going to leave somebody out if I do. But the massive amount of work that has went into this place. Lisa and I dropped by here on Friday night. And just to see it now compared to 36 hours ago is amazing what has been done. Uh, So let's give everybody who's worked on this a a hand. So one other quick thing before we get into the message this morning. And and I don't want, you know, to think this is some old spiritual Hulu or something like that. But we're under attack. Pastor Jared and Pastor Tyler have had rough weeks this week. Pastor, the, the enemy is not happy about what's happening here. The enemy is quite upset about what's happening here because we're reaching people in this city in a city that likes to downplay God as much as possible. But we're having an impact. This church is having an impact. You're having an impact when people see the difference in your lives. Um, And actually, the reason I'm up here is because of those attacks that occurred this week against Tyler and Jared. This was a last-minute thing for me. Now, I would never wish this on Tyler because I know what he's going through, and I won't talk about what's been been happening with them. They can share with you if they want to. but it's pretty cool that I get to stand up here this morning for the first service, outside of Good Friday, for the first service back in this building. So with that, let's pray, and then we'll get into the message. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, and your strength, Father. Father, I thank you for the opportunity you've given me to be up here this morning. But Father God, I pray with all of my heart that what comes out of my mouth is not my words, not what Bob wants to say, but Father, what you want to say and what you want each of us to hear. And Father, may we walk out of this place not having heard a sermon, not having sang a song, but knowing we've been at your feet. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Um, Last week, Jared spoke on... Matthew 5, 8, talking about the pure in heart, for they shall see the face of God. And he also talked about the fact that being pure of heart is not attainable in and of ourselves. There is nothing we can do good enough to please God to make us pure in heart. There is no way that's going to happen, except through one thing, the sacrifice of Christ. We celebrated Easter Sunday last weekend, the, the resurrection And there is nothing beyond that that we can be considered pure in heart. And if you're pure in heart, 
that divine grace will not leave you unsatisfied. It will, it will always lead you. But today we move the next step. And if you look at the Beatitudes, a lot of people think we'll do, look at the Beatitudes and say, well, this is just a nice series of steps. No, it's, there's actually an order to this. So now that we've reached verse 8 where we've talked about being pure in heart, now we move into verse 9 and it talks about becoming a peacemaker. And believe me, this world needs it right now. Um, you know, it's, I, I go back to the days of Thomas Jefferson, you know, with horse and buggy and everything was candlelit. You know, I'm, I'm that old. Uh, but it's, it's amazing. There's always been strife in the world and there will be strife until Christ's return. But over the last decade or number of years, the amount of hatred, the amount of ugliness that I've seen in this world and in our country, the lack of peace, has, has been bewildering at times. So Christ tells us, he sends us out as peacemakers. You will be peacemakers. This is not an option. It's not one of the Ten Commandments, but this is a commandment. We as the church are required to be peacemakers in this world. Um, and we aren't given that choice. And Lord knows we're not given the choice of what type of world we live in. There's only one right now. We're working on Mars, we're working on the moon, but there's still only one right now. Um, and as bad as things may be, we've got to work to bring peace as much as possible. Now, before we jump into, in too deep on this message, let's talk about what peacemaking is not. First thing, peacemaking is not the absence of conflict. Biblical peace is never to be confused with pacifism. This, you know, and I know some of you will think a little bit ahead and say, well, wait a minute, doesn't, doesn't God talk about turning the other cheek? Yeah, he does, but that's, evil retali that's retaliating evil for evil. That's not what we're talking about here. Seconds is the avoidance of strife. Never are we instructed to run from conflict. It doesn't mean, it means it, what that means is putting, the absence of strife means putting your hand in the sand, hoping that the conflict will end, only delays the inevitable. Uh, how many of you are like me? I try to avoid the news at all costs right now. You know, it's just, it's nothing but ugliness. I'll do anything but watch the news, uh, especially over the last year with the pandemic. That's putting my head in the sand. That's avoiding strife. The third is the appeasement of parties. What that means is peace at any price. In other words, we'll do anything within our power to make sure conflict doesn't exist. And often we do that in the wrong direction, in the wrong way. And fourth is the accommodation of issues. And this is the person who glosses over problems, acting as if everything is all right when it is not. That is not making peace. That is ignoring the problem and letting it go. So what did Christ mean here when he said, blessed are the peacemakers? Now, I, I'm a geek. I'm a nerd. My wife will, will tell you this. Uh, I readily admit to it. So I like to get into, into what does this mean in the original translation. The original word for Greek in peace is Irene, E-I-R-E-N-E, -E, from the verb Iro, which means to join or bind together that which has been broken, divided, or separated. It's the root of our English word serene. You know, a lack of conflict, free of storms of disturb disturbance, utter calm. If we use the Hebrew word, shalom, it was a Jewish greeting. You know, a lot of people think shalom is the equivalent of, hello, how are you doing? Nice to see you, or goodbye, have a good day. And that's not what it is. 
Shalom is actually a greeting when it's, when it's taken this one word, when it's truly stretched out to what its true meaning is, it means that the person who's been greeted will have all righteousness and goodness that God can give. The deepest meaning of the term is God's highest good to you. In other words, you're, you're not just worshiping them a good day, you're worshiping God's absolute best on them. Now, put it in modern English, you have it all together. That's what it means. Everything, everything's good, everything's going great, and it's easy. But let me share an illustration with you. Jim, Jim Walton was a missionary to the, and I'm going to mess this word up, I've been practicing it for days, the Muanain people, uh, who are a tribe in La Sabana in the jungles of Colombia. And part of his mission work to them was translating the New Testament into their language. But he struggled with one word. He couldn't, he couldn't figure out how to translate peace into their language. So during that time, the village chief, a gentleman named Fernando, was promised a 20-minute plane ride to a location while, uh, that would have taken him three days if he had to walk it. The plane was delayed in arriving, and Fernando got mad, got upset, left. He said, I'm going to take off and just walk. Forget it. The plane, you, you, know, you know, your promise hasn't come through. So the plane, when it finally arrived, one of the runners from the village took off to find Fernando and brought him back. Well, by the time Fernando got back to the village, the plane had left. Yeah, things just keep piling one on top of the other. And Fernando was livid. You know, Jim, Jim Walton was the one who had promised him this plane ride. And so he just let into Jim. Um, he just went into an angry tirade, and for whatever, whatever prompted him to do it, Jim Walton taped what he was saying to him. And he took it to one of the translators later on as he, or as he was listening to it and translating, he, he kept hearing Fernando say, I don't have one heart. I don't have one heart. And so he went to some of the other villages. He said, what does it mean when he says he doesn't have one heart? And basically what it means is there's no joining of the people. There's no joining of the hearts. There's something broken in between them that causes that lack of one heart. That, Walton realized, was just what he needed to translate the word of peace for, these, for the Muonine people. To have peace with God means that there is nothing, no sin, no guilt, no condemnation that separates us. And that peace with God is possible only through Christ. And only, in Romans 5.1, you know, you can only have... And, is, is where it's talked about biblically, but it's that peace, that having one heart, that peace with Christ. So my question is, do you have one heart with God? If you do, you're qualified to be sent out as his peacemaker. And it's important to remember that in the Bible, peace is always based on justice and truth. Without those two virtues, lasting peace is not possible. Um... Now, let's talk about the word make. The, the funny thing is, the, the word make is literally one of those translations that's almost literal from the Greek. It means to do or to make. It's a bursting with energy, though. It's an action statement. It's not a passive statement. Someone has to drag the combatants to the table and give them a reason to put down their arms. That's what it means when it says to make peace. So when you put these two words together, the literal words, peace and maker, describes one who actively pursues peace they pursue more than the absence of conflict. They don't avoid strife, and oftentimes peacemaking actually increases strife. You know, have you ever tried to stop an argument between two people? Doesn't end up pretty a lot of times. Um, 
They aren't merely seeking to appease those parties. They aren't trying to accommodate everyone. Instead, they are pursuing the beauty and the blessedness of God upon each other. William Barclay translates this verse, they are people who produce right relationships in every sphere of life. So, with all that being said, do you want to be a peacemaker? Do you think you want to be a peacemaker? In order to even think about being a peacemaker, and here's the caveat, you've got to be at first at peace yourself. You've got to have peace between you and God. And in, in order to have peace with you and God, this means you have to be a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you will not have peace with God. There is a chasm that separates you from God that you cannot address. And if you are not, if you are not first at peace with God, you cannot promote peace with God or man. Secondly, you have to seek peace in accordance with truth. And there is only one truth, the word of God. There is no other source of truth. We cannot sacrifice truth in the search for peace. Too often, in, the, in, the, in, in my lifetime, I've seen it increase, too often the church and we as Christians have sought to set aside God's word in order to make peace. We don't want to cause conflict. We don't want to upset somebody. So, well, we won't preach on that topic. Or we won't talk about this sin. That doesn't make it any less true. Whether we avoid it or not does not make it any less true. So we must never compromise truth for the sake of perceived peace or unity because if we compromise truth, we will have neither. So you've got to be true. Matthew Henry, I don't know if many of you know who he is. If you've ever done Experiencing God, Matthew Henry was the the writer of the study Experiencing God. He once once asked, what peace can they have who are not at peace with God? Peace is such a precious jewel that I would give anything for it but truth. It's an amazing statement. And so when we, look at the mission, when we look at the life of Christ, Christ's life was saturated with that, with that mission to bring peace between man and God. He was the bridge over that chasm that sits. I don't know how many of you, you know, the, in the good old days of, of evangel, with, with evangelism, we used to also often draw a, basically two cliffs with a chasm in between and put the cross across it as the bridge between man and God. And that's what Christ's mission was. Um, He paid an enormous price for that. And interestingly, the same word that's used for peace and the word peacemakers in the Beatitudes is applied by the Apostle Paul to what God has done through Christ so that we could be at peace with God. Colossians 1.20 tells us that through Christ God was pleased and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's what it means to be at peace with God. So, you want to be a peacemaker? What can you do to be a peacemaker? I'm trying to keep an eye on time here because they told me I only have an hour. So, <laughs> um, 1781, Ben Franklin, I was there when he wrote it was talking to John Adams, wrote to John Adams. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, is I suppose for another world. In this world, they are frequently cursed. And unfortunately, that's true for us. It's not nice. It's messy. It's ugly. It takes time and a lot of energy. Uh, I, hike. I love to hike. And when I, when I read this comment or this analogy, it hit home with me because I had this happen. It's like trying to cross a fast-moving creek on slippery rocks. You have to do it to get to where you're going, 
It's risky, and sometimes you fall. I did. I sat down in about a two-foot creek for a little bit with my backpack. Um, you get bruised, and sometimes you don't make it across. Sometimes you have to turn back. That's what peacemaking is like. And you know what? Sometimes it doesn't work. Um, in Romans 12, 18, Paul talked about the fact, if possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. That's a pretty clear command. Live at peace with everyone. But the key, the key phrase in there says, if it is possible. Sometimes it's not possible. Um, there are people whose sole goal in life is to make sure nobody else is happy. Yeah, I, I think we all know a few of those. Um, you can't always live at peace with people like that. One of the stories I had to ask, I'm not even going to share her name. There was a lady in the church, in our church back in Georgia, when I was a minister of singles. And I don't know why, but she became angry with me. And this just went on and on, and it was causing strife. People's like, what's going on between you and her? I said, I have no clue. So finally one night I called her, and I said, I need to talk to you. I said, I've done something that has made you mad or upset you. Can you tell me what it is? Nope, I'm fine. I want to apologize. You know, if you'll tell me what it is, I'll apologize and I'll make amends for it. Nope, we're good. I don't know where you're getting this. Okay. I tried. I couldn't do anything else. But that's where it ended. Sometimes you can't make peace. There's not going to be a resolution regardless of how much we try. And the mark of a Christian is our ability to live in peace with other people. Now, what did that mean for me in that situation? That meant I walked away from it. I'd done what I needed to do. I didn't hold a grudge against her. I didn't treat her any differently. But I had, I had to have peace in my heart, and I tried to make peace with her, and it just didn't work. God, 1 Corinthians seven fifteen. God has called us to peace. We have a scripturally directed responsibility to pursue peace. So, what can you do to make peace? How do you make peace? And I'm going to focus this on a personal level rather than, rather than making peace between people and God. Let's focus on what we need to do to have peace. I think there's four steps we need to take. Number one, talk to God. You know, it, it sounds obvious, but, but when you think about it, when I go to God and talk to him about where I've got strife in my life, it's, it seems it helps me work through it. Now, the downside of that is when you talk to God, he's going to show you where you're a part of the strife. He's not, you know, he's not going to, you're not going to sit there for 90 minutes and say, okay, God, you know, this person, blah, 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 blah. And God's sitting up there, yeah, but. And the thing is, whether we own 90% of it or whether we own 10% of it, we have to own what we did to create the strife. And that's part of, that's part of talking to God. Uh, how many of you have ever heard the, the phrase or a version of it that says it's impossible to pray for someone and be angry with them? And I said, pray for someone. Now, we can pray to God about someone and be really angry with them. But it's impossible. It's nearly impossible to pray for them and be angry with them. So we need to talk to God to seek guidance in the restoration. And God is faithful to show us that. Number two, and this is the hardest one to me, make the first move. That's what I tried to do with this person. You know, I knew there was conflict there. I knew there had to be peace for the, purpo for the purpose of not only she and I, but for the church. You've got to make the first move. And, and the interesting thing is, is later in chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, 
Christ said, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and often offer your gift. You know, I think we often pass over that verse too quickly because what's key in that verse is what Christ is telling us is that your first act of worship is to make peace with your brother before you bring an offering to God in order to make that offering to God pure. You have to reconcile yourself to your brother or, make every, or do every attempt you can. Third step, discuss the issue, not the person. You don't go to the person and say, Josh, I really don't like the way you're acting right now. <laughs> You've got a really bad attitude. I only do this to Josh because we love each other so much. Josh is a good friend. What you do is you talk about the issue. You go and say, Josh, Listen, I know there's something between us. I can feel it in my heart, but what is it? You know, what, let's, let's get to the bottom of this. Let's talk through this. Let's work through this. You've got to discuss the issue and not the person. And the key is, when you're discussing that issue, just what I did with this person in my singles group, the goal is not resolution of the issue. The goal is reconciliation of the relationship. Peace, that is the reconciliation. That's what we're looking for. And number four, and this is, the, this is the, I think, the second hardest, don't gossip. Nothing disqualifies us quicker from being peacemakers than talking about people to other people. A, pe- a peacemaker will never say anything about another person that they have not already said to the person themselves. And if you've already said it to the person themselves, why do you need to say it to anybody else? Now, Understand, I'm not saying don't seek guidance from those you can trust. But too often as Christians, we come out and we say, I've got a prayer request for you. (laughs) Such and such is just being mean to me. And they're doing this and they're they're doing these actions. That is not a prayer request. That is Christianized gossip. That is not what we're supposed to do. So now we've, we've seen what it means to be a peacemaker We've talked about what a peacemaker actually is. We've talked about some of the steps, so what's the reward? And this is what's so cool. There's, there's 12 words in this verse in the ESV translation. And in those 12 words, there is such a depth of theology that it blew me away as I studied it. Jesus tells us that the reward for being a peacemaker is to be known as sons of God. What's cool about that is when, when I started studying that and what that truly means is we talk about being children of God. To be a child of God means you have accepted Christ as your Savior. You are a Christian. That means you, cannot, you are part of the family. But to be a son of God means that you carry the family name honorably. Think of it that way. How many of you, you know, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands. I never mind on that. But, but we, all know, we all know family members who are black sheep of the family, we call them. You know, they're, they're the troublemakers. They're the ones that the family say, eh, just go away. You know, we, we don't hold them. They, they don't want them carrying that name. They, and, and many times they don't want them knowing that that name is associated with them. What this is saying is, when you are a son of God, you carry that name proudly. You carry that name honorably. And you show it and you live it well. It's a statement of character, whereas a child of God is a statement of position. Um, 
And though, so as we become peacemakers, we become recognized not only as children of God, but as sons of God and daughters of God. We are carrying the family mantle proudly. So the question that comes down to is, are you actively seeking to reconcile people to God, to each other, to yourself? Are you recognized as assisting? When people look at you, do they see God's activity, God's word coming in you? Do they see you attempting to live at peace with others? Do they see you carrying that mantle proudly? When we do, we're doing what God himself has done for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we are doing for others what God intends for us to do to them as as an act of ministry. Now, The opposite side of that is just as true. The opposite of peacemaker is what? Troublemakers. That's it. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. It's perfect. Um, Pastor Kent Hughes said, if we are not peacemakers, but instead are troublemakers, there's every likelihood that we are not true children of God. That's a hard statement, especially when I've been the troublemaker, when I've been the issue. That's a hard statement to think about because what it means is, number one, if I'm a troublemaker, my relationship isn't right with God. And if I'm constantly a troublemaker, do I even have the relationship with God that I profess to have? It's something to think about. Um, Warren Wiersbe summarizes summarizes verse 9 this way. Christians should bring peace between people and God and between those who are at odds with each other. When we do, we share the gospel of peace. So as we go out from here today, I want to read a poem written by St. Francis of Assisi. Um, And surprisingly, when I was looking this up, it was actually recorded as a song by Sarah McLaughlin, which which I find very interesting. Uh, But he wrote this about 700 years ago. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith, where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it's in giving that we receive, and it's in parting that we are pardoned, and it's in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Father, I thank you again for the chance to bring your word. And Father, I pray that the message that was brought was not my message, but yours. I pray that as we go out of here, Father, that we will take these words to heart, that they will not just be words on a page, that they will not just be words spoken from a stage, Father, but that they are words from you and what you have called us to be in light of your love for us and the reconciliation of peace with us. Father, we pray these things in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.